welcome to the Kanadi Experience Podcast. And today we are going around and doing the series of the Kanadi Wheel. And today we're going to talk about project implementation. So with us is Joe and Josh from our implement implementation team. I don't know why I can't get that. <laughs> <laughs> implementation. How are you doing today, Joe? Great. How are you, Des? Good. How about you? How are you doing? Doing good. On previous podcasts, we were talking about um, the planning and then the programs, and now we get into the real uh, nitty-gritty and the work, which is the project implementation. And at Kanadi, we do a whole host of things because those projects are really based on what the client wants. And so we do a lot of things. So you guys do a lot of food plots. Yeah, that's right? correct. We... Um we're out in the field uh, all the time. Uh, food plots is uh, it's challenging this year. Um, water has kind of been... Well, it's been really dry. Yeah, it's been, been the lack of water. Uh, so a lot of food plots kind of got put on hold or just waiting for rain. So we switched to a lot of fall annuals this year um, versus the, the soybeans uh, or the corn, you know, stuff like that that we put in normal years but um it's so you guys plant plant food plots yeah so we can do anything from well it pretty much the entire project if you want um you know uh, the tilling uh we can no-till we have multiple no-till drills uh which a lot of people you know it's a lot it's a great option especially on a year like this um you know so you're not opening up the soil so what's the di- what uh what is a no-till drill exactly so Basically, we can go through, it's got like a cutting openers, basically, and we can go through uh, sod grasses, uh, whatever, and it'll put the seed in without doing any tillage prior. Um, We do look at it, uh, on some cases, no tilling works. Some cases, uh, it'll struggle a little. So every project and every food plot is, is unique, but we have to look at it and uh, see once what, what it needs to, uh, to be successful. And like I say, this year, water was the key, and we even on, on some food plots, we put up uh, some small-scale irrigation systems um, just trying to get them some water. I mean, it's, that's the biggest thing. So You guys got kind of creative with that this year. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a good time. Uh, <laughs> it's 90 <laughs> degrees out, and, uh, you know, what kid doesn't want to play in a sprinkler system? So... Um, you know, that, that was, uh, it was a good day, but yeah, we, we just drew some water, uh, used some gas powered pumps, um, drew the water out of a pond, um, and just used some <clears throat> large, large sprinklers basically. And, uh, and set up a system. We've done a few, we've had somewhere, uh, we have like a traveling gun, uh, the irrigation will move itself. You'll see them a lot of times on like, uh, uh, sporting events like football fields or soccer fields. Is that fields. like one of those little tractors? Yeah, yeah. In the <laughs> watering your lawn that like moves yeah. along the hose. Yeah, a little bit bigger than that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, you know, that that's kind of the same thing. So w- we can help people um, design the food plots. We have a team of, they, they can help you design. We can help you pick out what food plot, what seed to put in. We have our own blends that work very well in this area. Um, so like I say, we really depends on what you need what your goals are and uh like I say we can help out with wherever wherever the needs are 
How many food plots do you think you guys put in a year? Oh, quite a few. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I don't even know. We don't. You should get the number. Yeah, the <laughs> numbers to us are whatever. You know. I mean, we just, you know, it. Uh, it probably doesn't mean much if it's one <coughs> food plot that's giant. I was going to say, versus one that's yeah, one food plot might be an eighth of an acre and the next is 15. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, and, and, and there's not a right or wrong. I mean, we do a lot of little kill plots just in front of a deer stand. We do... Uh, a lot of big plots. Uh, even we we went, uh, one of our projects we've been working on is, you know, we open up a uh, forested area. It was a solid stand of forest. We opened up a couple acres. Uh, you know, we have the equipment to help with that from a forestry mulcher to we have to bring in a big excavator to help pull or grub trees out. Um, you know, so it really, it really doesn't matter what the project is. We'll, we'll find a way to get it done. Um, like I say, and, and just, you know, make it, make it as successful as we can. Uh, you know, there's things we can't control again, you know, with weather, but, uh, you know, we, we help out wherever we can. Right. You guys also do a lot of native planting, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of your, your expertise. Uh, somewhat, I guess I, uh, um, I mean, to go into that, it's um, similar to what what Joe was talking about with the food plots. It's just a different different uh, seed we're using, but and an end different end result to some extent. But um, um, our main our main thing we like to focus on is uh, the site preparation uh, to get the get that site ready to to take the seed that we want that we want to grow there. Um, you know, we might. It might be a, a brome conversion, or it might be an, a soybean stubble field. Obviously, this the soybean stubble field is our, our preferred method because it's been a lot of times um, if it's Roundup ready soybeans. Obviously, it, it's had years of of treatment to to battle the weeds. Whereas uh, a brome conversion, there's going to be some front end work to get rid of that that uh, what's already there and the and the seed bank that that's probably there in the ground. And to do that, we'll be uh, um, try to get aggressive with it with a, a, a till-kill process, depending on how bad the problem is. We might have to do that. It might take all summer to, you know, you can't just have a snap your fingers and, and plant a prairie planting and it's done. It's It might take a full season to, to prep that soil just to get the seed down. And then once you get the seed down, there's a lot of times years of maintenance to get it to a, fully mature stand of what you actually want and what you see in pictures like yeah the, the a lot of t- a lot of times we'll get calls on prairie plantings and whether we did them or a different company or whatever and you have to look at this it's you know and it's a first year planting mm-hmm. and we always tell people like really you shouldn't look at it well you should look at it because there's establishment mowings but you shouldn't judge until the third fourth year um, and especially with the droughts we've been having a lot of things are coming along slower than normal, but you know, like a native plant, they always, you know, the first year they say it sleeps, the second year it'll creep, the third year it leaps, you know, that's kind of the old saying. Um, so you really have to look at it and be like, well, do you see the native plants coming? And a lot of times without somebody that knows what they're looking at, it all just looks like weeds. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they're just tiny little plants and they're just, all they're doing is putting roots down the first couple of years. So Everything, it's still happening, but you just can't see it. Um, so you just have to be 
you do an establishment mowing, you're basically trying to keep all the weeds in check um, above the ground. But like I say, that's where we can help. You know, we, we've planted a lot of acres and we know, you know, what's the site prep? What, where should we, you know, what, what are the steps along the way? And we can help people through that, you know, and whether it's a, a large CRP seeding, um, as Josh said, a brome conversion, um, we do as much as small-scale stuff, lakeshores, uh, restorations, where we put in natives along the, uh, along the lakeshore. We do backyards, just people are sick of mowing two acres, and they want to mow one acre. So we'll put in just a little pollinator plot, uh, bee and butterfly plot, or just simply, you know, wildflowers or, or wild grasses, you know, native grasses. Um, so, you know, it, it really depends on what your goals are that we can we can look at and help and like for landowners a lot of the problem with this is that it's a lot of time and work to do this over and over again and you have to do it really the the time that it happens is an important part of the whole process too mm-hmm. that's absolutely correct i mean when we put a, a brome conversion into a kill till um it varies this year we have some that you know, we did the till on, and we're waiting to do the kill again, as we say, or the herbicide treatment, and well, there's no rain, so nothing's greening up. So you can't rush it. You just have to You have to wait, be patient. You have to, if it takes a year, if it takes a year and a half, um, you know, the best time to plant your natives are early spring and late fall. Um, we always say our fall planting, we start November 1st. You know, it's a dormant seeding. We're trying to get the seeds in the ground before they are late enough that they don't germinate and sprout and freeze. Um, but every year I would say there's about a 10-day window that we have to plant in the fall because usually by about the 10th to the 15th of November, we have snow on the ground. So then you can't plant, you know, or right. we don't plant. So um, And this year with the snow in the spring, I know you guys were just waiting <clears throat> Just waiting it for the was. right time to go, and then it was go time. Yeah, it was, uh, well, we were waist-deep in snow, and it sat there and sat there, and, yeah, then it was just like, you know, there was no spring. It went from, you know, so we went from a lot of snow, and we do a lot of tree planting as well, um, and we went from all the trees had to get in the ground to all the seed, you know, there was... A lot of things that happen in the spring um, that, you know, trying to get it all all to go at one time. Um, so, yeah. Which I think a lot of landowners probably also felt. I mean, if you're a landowner and you work or you have a place that's two hours away and you can't get up there to get that done in the time frame, yep. like, this is a great option. Mm-hmm. Yep, and that's where we can help. Um, I mean, we have landowners that want to be involved. They want to they wanna be part of it to landowners that you know are like i can't get to my property can you help me so we can do anything you know from the food plots to camera sets you know like uh, if if they need their trail cameras set up for hunting to deer stands uh ready anything in between we can help out with um you know if it's a pollinator plot or crp seeding same thing um some landowners want to want to be out there and be part of it because they might have farmed that land for the last 40 years and now they're deciding to retire it. So it's, you know, it's, it means something to them that they want to be there and, and be part of that last planting or, or you know, 
some of the contracts are 15 years. Um, so it really depends on what, what they're, you know, where they're at. And we, we love them all. I mean, it, it doesn't really matter to us. We'll be there to help. And like I say, we look at what their goals are, what their needs are, and we help them out. So um, what kind of a equipment does, like, say, nat- native planting, like, is it different than the food plot? Yes and no. Um, So we have drills that have three different seed boxes on. A native planting, especially if you're doing like a wildflower planting, you really want an agitator in the box. Um, Otherwise, you'll get seed separation and you might get all of your wildflowers. They're smaller seeds. They'll basically sift to the bottom and uh, they might come out in the first acre. So you'll have all your pretty flowers in one spot versus over the entire field. So our cedars have, are especially cedars that have agitators in and they're made to plant native seeds. Um, but then they also have other boxes that we use for, for food plotting as well. Um, so yeah, there's, it's not just a simple grain drill that we use. Um, can you get by with it? There's times that you can, uh, like I say, with special techniques, you, it may work. But um, like I say, we we the tools we have are are top of the line that you know to get it done right. So, right. So let's talk a little bit about like some you recently this this spring or when was that big wildlife restoration project where you were planting willows. Oh, yes, the willows. Mm. Um, <laughs> this was a riverbank stabilization uh, project that we helped with for erosion. Um, we put in, that kind of goes back to the tree planting, and uh, we do a lot of trees from bare root to, like, the live staking. This is what we did. We we harvested willows. And uh, dogwoods. And, yep, dogwoods. Um, and we... We basically... Did you guys harvest them yourselves, or did you just... You got? Yep. Okay, so you hand. actually... <laughs> yeah, there was uh, some days we were loved, some days we were hated. The the crew, the one day we got out there, because you harvest them when they're dormant, um, so it's early spring, and... Well, you, go, you go out there and take a, a branch off? Yeah, pretty much you cut willows, uh, you, willows and dogwoods, and so it, there was water, you know, like we're in a swamp while we are doing this, and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so one day I said, it won't be that bad, and it started mm-hmm. raining on us. It was cold rain. Were you guys all in waders or? Yeah, knee, uh, boots. knee boots. Yeah, I was going to say, when the project started, I think I, we were in in probably knee to waist high snow, and, and there was ice in the swamp, and then by the time we were done, I think I got sunburnt one day. It was yep. it was a long, drawn-out process. but I do remember one time Joe told me that he wanted to do this to show his kids how to work hard. Yeah, that so. was uh, <laughs> that was that's one of my goals is uh, hmm. to work with my children at times and uh, and be able to uh, teach them how to work and that was uh, like I say we take on whatever project I mean it it comes down to and it, it was a good project in the end we uh, we were able to get all of them planted uh, and like I say you don't when you think of twenty five thousand willow stakes you're like well, what does that really mm-hmm. look like and uh, it's a lot. Like a five-gallon bucket holds about 200 willow stakes. Um, so, 
at the end of the day, it was, it's a lot of five gallon buckets. Yeah. It's truck, <laughs> it's truckloads <laughs> truck in the load, end. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we stored them in a, a walk-in cooler while we waited for the river to go down. And then once it went down far enough, we uh, went to work and started planting. And yeah, it was it was a lot of great days in the, in the swamp this year. And so team building, team building. Yes, we uh, we all know a lot about each other. <laughs> <laughs> so did the mosquitoes at least stay away? Um, I would say no. <laughs> that was uh, that was. Like I say, by the time the river went down, it was fairly warm already. So it was, uh, mm-hmm. it, that was, uh, like I say, it was challenging, but it brought a lot of characters out. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, but either way, things like that, we, any project w- isn't too big, too small. I mean, we look at it and, uh, you know, whatever, whatever it takes, we'll, we'll get it done. That's, you know, we come, when we look at a project, that's, that's kind of, we look at how can we do it, who do we have to do it, um, do, you know, like, so here at Kanadi, we have a whole team of people that we rely on, um, and we always talk about, there's some days you'll be the smartest person in the room, and there's some days you won't, depending on what you're talking about. If you're talking about equipment, I usually raise my hand because I love equipment, but we start talking about, like, native flowers or something like that. Josh may raise his hand, or Nate may, you know, like, so we rely on the team of, you know, who's the best person in the room to lead that project. And sometimes we have to rely on all of us. Um, you know, Josh may know the most about the natives, but I may know, hey, this piece of equipment we need to get in to do this project. Or Nate may get involved with, hey, there's some support or um, a contract that we could look at getting this landowner. So we, we really try to bring in the power of the team here and uh so who's all on your implementation team so josh and i lead it um and uh then after that we have a crew of just and it's it's kind of crazy the team we put together we have a lot of high school high school kids working for us college kids um we have a small scale designer that she's working on becoming a master gardener she helps out on like a lot of the pollinator plots, if somebody wants just a little backyard pollinator plot, you just don't go out there and throw plants and you want to stage them so they're all flowering right or you have your purples here, your blues here. To me... Aesthetics. She's yeah, the to, aesthetics person. To me, that's all just words. Um, <laughs> I don't like I don't like to get involved with that. Um, to me, beauty is straight lines of, with a cedar. Um, you know, that that's where like my really passion and uh so but same thing so we have a small scale designer that works for us and uh we have a couple people that are we call them our shepherds they so we we have goats as well for our buckthorn control that we use um which is another topic we'll probably get into but yeah so and then we have anywheres from jake brings a lot to our hunting side um of the company He's uh, probably more passionate about deer hunting than anyone I know. Or oh yeah, he's he's uh, <laughs> I call it the level of insanity. <laughs> he he's up there. Uh, it's not insanity. It's that's their hobby. They love to right. do it, and uh, you know that's like I say. And uh, you know Nate brings a lot of the conservation stuff to uh, you know the planning. The 
he he worked in the government for a lot of years and knows a lot of the programs that are out there. So he has a lot of added value there. So like I say, there's we go back to that power of team again. And uh, some days some days it's your day, and some days you're just the worker. So <laughs> yeah. So. That's a little off topic or a little sidetracked, but yeah. No, I think it's, it's good. It gives a well-rounded vision of exactly who is involved and in what part. In what part. Um, so speaking of, I know you brought up goats. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be good to talk about um, the buckthorn control. Josh. I mean, Josh. buckthorn is a big in the side of a lot of landowners. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll let Josh talk about that. That's the, the goats are his favorite. Oh yeah, yeah. The goats, uh, they're a love hate relationship. They're, I don't know. They're more. I, I don't mind them. I like. It's kind of something different to do. Um, but yeah, what they actually do, I don't know. There is a um, a pretty cool video that got posted. I think on our Facebook page. Yeah, I think that it was, was like last week. Joe took that was a pretty good. Uh, visualization of what the goats do for us uh basically we'll be uh we'll take a property that calls for uh, goats being used as a, a practice and we'll we'll make a bunch of different paddocks that we kind of will uh i guess what's the terminology flash graze these areas the goats will keep them in a, a small enough area depending on how many goats are in there and they'll they literally eat everything and then we'll uh we'll move them to the next paddock and we just keep moving them all summer long. And a lot of times um, you'll notice the the paddocks that we started with in the summer, they're starting to regrow. And then hopefully we can circle back around to that paddock and hit it again. That's kind of what we're trying to do is stress the plant and uh, just keep stressing it. And so it goes into winter with its um, energy kind of depleted. So are you guys only using goats for buckthorn? We are not. We uh, When we talk about buckthorn, we first have to look at a site. We sit down and, because goats are very effective on small buckthorn. Um, larger buckthorn, you either have to hand cut, forestry mulch. There's So we look at the site and we look at what's the best practice. Some sites we use all three practices on. Um, you know, we'll bring in the forestry mulcher, we'll get the really big stuff, but there may be a, a steep slope or a rocky area that we can't run our forest or mulcher. So then we bring in a team and we hand cut it. Um, but like I say, and then sometimes the retreat is with goats. So it, it really, it really varies on, on what the site is. And, you know, when we talk buckthorn, it's really important to have a plan. It's not a one and done. It's, you know, a multi-year process. Um, right. Like I'm curious with the, with the forestry mulcher, like if it, cause that just kind of cuts at the base, right? Yep. Yep. It'll so are you guys, cause I know, I mean, I've cut it myself and then it'll just start growing, sprouting out of that stump or. That's mm-hmm. correct. So either, either you bring goats in behind that and have them keep stressing it basically till the plant uh, can't take it anymore or, or herbicide treat. Um, like I say, there's, it's again, and then sometimes you know we talked about this, Josh, uh, a different day about uh, sometimes you're opening the can of worms. Once you do the first treatment, now you have all the sunlight getting into your forest floor, and all the seeds and berries that are laying there they start to grow, and so it's not a a one time, you know, you, 
time and you're you're finished with it. Um, there is times where um, we walked a property, and on 15 acres there was what 40, mm-hmm. 40 to 50 buckthorn plants. You know that you can really you know if you if you get on it early enough you can get a, a good handle on it. But it it seems like um, if it's out of control it it may take a few rounds or a few years. Well, and one time we were talking about buckthorn, and you had mentioned, and it was something that I didn't even think about, but if you cut them and then you drag that piece and it's got seeds, <laughs> then you're now yeah. kind of spreading that, at that along that whole path that you might be dragging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if the berries are dropping at that time, you're basically planting buckthorn everywhere. Yeah, so, that's... Uh, which I think that's one good part about the goats, don't they? They'll eat the heck out of them berries. Yeah, they love the berries, and uh, there's studies that show that very few are viable after it goes through their stomachs. So that's another benefit of the goats. Um, the problem with goats is, with that said, so in the goats, a lot of times you're burying trees are larger, Right. And they're not very effective against that. So what we try to do is, as we have our goats in, we're also hand-cutting those paddocks as well. So any of those bigger ones, we're taken out of the equation as well. You know, So it's, like I say, we like to say we use all three practices to really control it. And uh, that's... It, it's there's times when you when you cut down a berry tree, it's just about like they're a vacuum. They just run mm-hmm. for them berries, and they're just like... <laughs> <laughs> They love them. So it's, uh, yeah. And you've named all the goats, right? Oh, I think Jennifer has <laughs> some. Yeah. Uh, I think she has most of them. She, so she's, uh, we have Jennifer and Brenda are, we would say are probably our number one and two or two and one, whatever way you want to look at it. But they do the most care with our goats. Uh, or they check them, uh, you know, pretty much every other day or daily if it's hot out you know like we're you you got to do a lot of watching on them and uh make sure they have enough water make sure you know all the everything make sure they're right. still on the fence yep yep so <laughs> all those good things and uh the uh they can recognize the other day i was out with jennifer and one was Ballard, and she's like oh that's honey and <laughs> honey i think needs a little honey because she's got a real raspy voice and you know <laughs> I'm like, she sounds like she's been ballering for a while. And she's like, no, that's the way she always sounds. That's <laughs> just honey. Yeah. So they, <laughs> yes, they, um, I joke with them uh, that, you know, we should start a petting zoo, um, <laughs> you know, that, uh, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's been a topic of. Uh, well, the goats, <laughs> I think the goats know the difference between all of us too, because they react differently to jennifer and brenda compared to if you and i walked down there yep yep they there there's a <laughs> are lo- you being mean to the goats joe <laughs> no is that why no 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 i uh i am not being mean to the goats i they just uh they're more patient people yep, than that's I, what I was gonna say uh i'm i'm more of the uh hurry up let's go they're more is the, it tough to move that paddock um not um i mean some di- t- sometimes it works like a charm if they've been in there like we've got three different herds right now and it seems like one's bad and if you if they're in still in the paddock and it's they've gotten eaten down and they're super hungry oh yeah it's easy when you just open the gate to the next one they see the green and they walk right through they're it hungry. it was a goat farmer that came up with the grass screener on the other side of the fence <laughs> yeah so <laughs> but it's so a lot of people think it's uh it's simple and 
you know, so our fences are all mesh woven uh, electric fencing. And we always, you know, you try to, we have trails cut that we try to establish to put the goats on, but to move those, every stick, yeah. every, you like, it's, it's a challenge yet to move uh, all that fencing and just, you know, like, it, it's, it's not, one person can't go and do it. It's right. a team that goes and does it and you, you know, to move them. So it's, uh, like I say, that's, that's one of the challenges, but it's also, I guess, what better place to be than uh, in a woods and mm-hmm. getting to see all the interesting things. So that's, I mean, for us, it's just every day, you know, that's, we, we're outside doing great things like that. You're in the lucky, lucky job category. Yeah. Well, some days, I guess. Some day, yeah. <laughs> the rain, the snow, the, we were uh, this winter in the end, uh, we were on snowshoes looking for and cutting buckthorn. So days like that, you wonder, you go, hmm, but most of the time it's all good. Mm-hmm. So right. we stay in shape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so part of the real reason that people remove buckthorn is really because it just kind of chokes out every everything else, mm-hmm. all the other native trees. And another big aspect of what you guys do is tree planting, right? Yeah, you can we can take that into conjunction with the buckthorn removal. You spend the first year or two getting rid of the main problem, and then when we think we have a handle on it, you can go in and if you're not seeing the, the native stuff that is there, coming up you can kind of help it and do a tree planting in a in a buckthorn removal area and so we talked about wills and dogwoods do what other trees are you guys planting or plant often pretty much anything that's available that the landowner wants a lot of oaks uh, cherries any sort of shrub um, any conifer trees whatever and then we also do the the uh, tubing and caging that's we I got to experience how to do that this year a little bit, I guess. I hadn't done that before. Um, and what is the point of, of tubing a tree? Uh, it's kind of some protection from, from the elements, from animals, from, you know, deer and rabbits. Can Depending on the species of tree, they're, it's like candy to them, especially once all the, the crops and stuff are off in the winter and fall and spring. They'll That's a, that's a deer's main diet is browse. So um, you open up an area and just put all these basically candy out for them they'll <laughs> they'll they'll destroy them but then also i think the the tree tubes are like miniature greenhouses aren't they joe they yeah they work they'll... very well um we've had a lot of two-year-olds so we'll plant a bare root tree bare root oak uh one year we tube it the next year we come back and a, out of a five-foot tube it's already to the top of that tube so incredible growth rate in these tree tubes it's you know, <clears throat> people don't realize sometimes a bad windstorm can set an oak tree back or any tree back. A young tree, it'll set it back an entire year, sometimes two years. So you think about how many times you have a bad windstorm in a summer. I mean, <laughs> the last few this, years. Yeah, this you know, year's been bad. Yeah, so it really, it really protects them and it really allows them to grow every summer, you know, and, and that's, you know, once they come out of the tubes, they're, they're uh, already five feet tall. So it's a... It really helps. Um, like I say, tubing, caging. Caging's kind of the same thing. Um, that's just a wire mesh you put around them. They don't get quite the protection from the environment like the tubes do. Do you uh, tube conifers too? <clears throat> or just deciduous? 
kind of maple. Mm, I don't think we think. did any of that this year. No, that's not that's not real common. Because um, they just don't have the predi- the well grazing or what do you? You you bud cap some of the uh, you know the white like, pine yeah pines and stuff like that. What's You'll a bud, bud cap? Bud cap is basically putting. There's a piece of paper, yeah, over the t- over the terminal bud of the tree, that the top bud, that the deer will, if they nip that bud off, they'll it'll, that's how the tree will start next year's growth. And if the deer takes that off, it'll Stunts take it. the next. If the deer hasn't eaten all of the buds off of it, it'll the tree just finds the next closest thing to the terminal bud, and then that's where when you see a tree with a goofy, crooked stump at the bottom that's probably what happened when it was young yeah it's very simple Man, like those you know, deer. well and you think like how does a little piece of paper but it works i mm-hmm. mean it's, they hey you, you just staple a, a little piece of paper basically onto it mm-hmm. um i've heard of guys using now um like sandpaper mm. like the i'm trying to think it's like a woven sandpaper i think drywallers use it but most of the time it's just like white paper that mm-hmm. you put on the it's a deer away, so. Yeah. That's interesting. That's pretty cool. You guys also sell trees? Yes, yes. So we can help people. Um, it's been a challenge the last few years um, just with COVID and um, a lot of people like nurseries and all that. They uh, they don't have nearly the amount as what they used to. Um, but yes, we can provide, like we'll do a lot of times uh, – if it's a CRP planting or a tree planting, doesn't matter, you know, like we can bring all the trees to the site, you know. Um, the benefit is, you know, like we'll get people that want to provide their own trees and there's times that, you know, like from the time the trees get delivered, we keep them in climate-controlled coolers, you know, keep them basically dormant. If you leave a tree, a lot of times people will go, you know, get a tree and if it sits out, the roots start to dry and all that stuff. As I said earlier, like Josh watched all the, uh, all those willow stakes. You got to keep them moist. You got to keep them watered. So, we have that ability to do that. So at least when the trees get put in the ground, because sometimes you can't put them in right away. The trees will be the spring trees were being delivered, and there was still snow on the ground. So right. you know you really have to timing is right. I mean, once we get the trees, obviously we're we're out a lot of times with two crews running putting trees in the ground, but it, um, you know, it's still sometimes a few days to a week, you know, sometimes delay before we can get them all in the ground. Um, I don't know if you, if we ever touched on it when we were talking equipment, but we do, you know, we do some hand planting of trees, but then also we've got that, um, I don't know what the official, it's just a planter. It's a three point attachment for a tractor or what did we ever calculate how many we can do? We, well, the spec says, I think this isn't the, the spec on it. I think says twelve thousand an hour, which wow. is which is completely false. I'd yeah. like to meet that guy that can put. You I know, I thought it was a thousand an hour, but even that's yeah. impressive. On the right properties, yeah, um, it's about a thousand an hour. That's, but that's a crew of five people. You know, it's not just mm-hmm. that's that's at least five people on the site, um, and then the conditions have to be perfect for that. But either way, I was going to ask, what's the success rate on a thousand if you plant a thousand? Well, I suppose it depends on the year, right? Every year varies. Um, What 
a lot of times, like foresters will say, is expect at least 20% loss. Okay. Some years it's a lot more. You know, we planted some three years ago. It was in the 90% um, fail rate. It was just so dry. You know, rain is so critical right after you plant. Mm-hmm. If you get... For most things, right? Yeah. It, you know, and if, if it can get rooted or, you know, get a good, decent start, it'll be fine. But if it doesn't rain that first month, you're, they're really going to struggle. Um, didn't, didn't we do some watering of a couple of tree plantings? We did. Year? We uh, For a while there, we were watering 4,800 trees, I think, 48. Wow. Uh, that was like new uh, ones? Yeah, all freshly planted this year because um, it, it was just so dry. So we were out, um, you know, and we have a we have a what's to say a water rig set up that we can do it fairly efficiently. It's still uh, it's still time consuming, but at least it kept those trees alive. I mean, that's the the hard thing to see is right. That's a lot of investment of time and money. And time and money, and um, and then the one thing you can't control, and uh, so right. that's where we were out. Like I say, watering them, and most of those hung in. Um, we had a client this year; I think he put in forty six hundred of them, and he had it down to how many he could water per hour. <laughs> and um, let's just say he was up at all times a day, trying to get him water, trying to keep him watered. But they look fantastic mm-hmm. this fall. So that's. But we also have sites that people didn't water at all, and I would say this year, I don't know. On a lot of sites, a 30% loss. But, you know, then we had some that were 70%. You know, it really, this summer there's been so many of them little pop-up showers that, you know, yeah. if you got it, one guy got yeah, it, one guy did. Five miles down the road, they got it. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, tree planting, that's, like I say, we do a lot of that. That's uh, We have a couple different uh, mechanical planters that we pull behind, uh, behind tractors or there's certain areas where you have to hand plant and we have a, we have a pretty uh, pretty good team that knows what they're doing when it comes to planting trees. So we uh, doesn't really matter what the project is. We 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 find a way to get it done. So you guys do a lot, and with that, I think speaking to so many landowners, you have lots of different types of clients, right? You've got um, hunter type clients, agriculture clients, and then like people that are more in involved in like conservation type things and then you have the mix of it all and that's where the think tank of Kanadi really comes in but you guys are constantly adjusting to what clients want and coming up with uh in the future I know the word cover crop has kind of been thrown around a little bit so what is a cover crop and why is it useful so Cover crops are starting to catch on here in central Minnesota. Um, they've been used a lot uh, in southern, like Iowa. and they're, they're So what happens is after you take off, let's say your soybeans or your grain, or if you chop some corn, um, you're putting another basically crop down, and it's either for soil health. Um, sometimes they use it for forage. Um, erosion is a big issue. Um, so another crop gets planted after it. A lot of times it's either aerial seeded, no tilled in. Um, so we have the capacity to do that. And like I say, we, we believe in the cover crops. We, we do a lot of that with our food plots. Um, we've worked with a lot of farmers 
that are organic and they're using the cover crops for weed control. Again, like they say, sometimes the soil health, uh, you know, is a big issue with the, with the rising cost of like synthetic fertilizers. That's the big one right now is if they can plant something there and use it as basically green manure, it, uh, it really helps out. So, um, yeah, we, like I say, we, we have the capacity that we can help people with that. Um, and you know, whether it's choose the right seed or, um, or get it, you know, plant it. So that's one of the areas that, like I say, seems to be a, a hot new topic in the area. Um, yeah. So again, the, the biggest thing is we, we always tell people just to call us, um, reach out to us, even if it seems like a silly question, we love talking to people. Um, Anybody knows me or Nate or Josh, we're always on the phone. And you so. guys don't have like a, my land is only X big. I no, shouldn't. no, absolutely not. We talk to, there's some people that, you know, like just small scale, they want basically a micro pollinator plot or just a, you know, like a small, just basically raised garden. Um, or a hundred foot put a shoreline yeah it doesn't really matter um we stick to natives though we're not like a we, we try to say we're not like a landscape company we're we want to stick to natives and you know conservation related things um so like that but feel free to call uh we do have free consultation um like i say we'll talk you through and some people call and hey what do you think about planting you know, a food plot or planting this bean butter, you know, fly area. And, you know, the, I don't want to mow my lawn anymore, you know, or, or half of my lawn. So we're always, like I say, we're always willing to talk. Um, we'll give you ideas. We can help you through pretty much any aspect of, of, of the areas that we, you know, we've talked about from, from food plots to pollinators to CRP seedings to tree planting on and on to equipment if you want to call you want to <laughs> yeah talk if you want to talk it. tractors yeah shows. yeah i mean and that's one thing too i mean we offer a lot of that stuff uh like i say from food plot seeds to equipment um some people you know hey what do you think of this camera system or what do you think of uh um is even no-till drills or whatever like i say feel free to call and we always will talk well I want to thank you both for spending time on the podcast today. And if any of our listeners are interested, have questions about anything, if you want to go to kanadiland.com, we have a contact form. And that gets sent over to Nate, and they can get in touch with you. Otherwise, I think that ends our podcast for the day. Thanks, Desi. Yep, thanks. thanks.